0: morning mike
1: good morning
0: it's another uh here we are another friday recording how are you It's
1: another friday recording well you know we're ringing wet here in maryland after the downpour yesterday
0: oh my gosh you know uh yeah it was yesterday you know the days they just go by (laughs) (laughs) yesterday that was the loudest thunder i have ever heard in my life yeah oh my gosh and it was i mean it was Probably the closest together. Well, I saw that flash and then
1: this insane crack. It was wild. Yeah, it, it was. And uh, yeah, we have thing uh, for listeners. We get uh, got something on my phone said, "Head to the basement." Well, we don't have a basement, so I cracked my head on the floor because I just <laughs> <laughs> passed out. When I woke up, it was gone. Nothing came. <laughs> Did your phone actually say that? Yeah, like uh, alert. Wow. Uh, Bam, bam, bam.
0: Jeez, yeah, that was intense. That yeah. was intense. I'm not used to that. Anyway, <laughs> we will not be discussing the weather today. No, we won't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a, a newer, um, I've seen a couple articles come out now, but a newer trend in the tech world is actually this this idea of uh, unionization and mm-hmm. and workers getting together and forming a union. And part of it probably goes. Uh, you know, is is a tad political, um, but I think that the intentions are are actually pretty pretty common and uniform. Which is this idea of you know worker empowerment, workers wanting a seat at the table, um, not wanting power and authority to be connect collected in one place. Um, but but as I was kind of working through this, you know, I'm my my. Familiarity with unions is not all that positive, uh, to be frank, um, and particularly in the tech world. Well, and I'll, I guess I'll say this: I think there's a there's a place where unions are probably important, or, or or some some level of collective bargaining is important because you have workers that don't have as much power to go just get another job somewhere and, and leave the workplace. But in the tech world, there, there's particularly this this kind of. Uh, I don't know, it's still new. It's still, it's fast. It's incredibly innovative. Um, and so it's been surprising to see this. But as uh, as I've been, you know, kind of processing through, it, it seems to, to interact a little bit with things you and I have talked about. You know, this idea of what, what does it look like to have a healthy organization and to, to, to go uh, an institutional route within, in, within an organization that workers may have more of a say. Um, that that we may be able to treat workers well. So I really wanted to to kind of hear how you digest this, um, and and not just necessarily unions yes or unions no, but but really more within an organization. How do you institutionalize important things like you know it's kind of the the catchphrase today, but worker empowerment. I think if you if you think about the the, the maybe the intent of of that common phrase today, I think it's probably fitting. Um, we do want workers to to have a sense of authority in the workplace and we do want to bestow a sense of you know not even a sense of but we want to give give them some power to to be part of the organization. Um I, yeah, how do you make sense of that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um yeah, you know, thinking about when uh, CS Lewis said uh, he was a Christian, he described it this way. He said uh, it's like the uh sun rising because not only do I see it rising, but by it I see everything else and I find our conversation this morning going, hmm, how much light is, is the gospel shed on this uh, issue for me? <laughs> and uh, I'd say somewhat, I'm sure there's others who could uh, speak to this more uh, eloquently, but but let me start somewhere with a comment you made. Uh, I don't, I, I, I'm i really not sure about empowerment period. Hmm. It's a relatively recent term. And I remember, um, Years ago, going through some outstanding uh, uh, a leadership immersion course uh, by the Burnham-Rosen group up in Boston. So uh, listeners, if you want to Google that, and David Burnham was our uh, moderator for that, and several of my friends and I have gone through this course, and it really blows your mind. It's findings in neuroimaging for what... Uh, characterizes high-performing leaders, and they, they noticed a profound shift beginning the late 1980s of um, what characterizes, uh, again, effective uh, institutions, effective individuals. And it pretty much blows the categories that people use today. Maybe we'll to address that in a future podcast. But here's my point. Empowerment, You don't, I don't think you empower people because that treats them like batteries. Or actually, uh, toys. You pop the battery in. That, that you know. Again, some listeners might feel that's insulting. They've inv- maybe they've invested their whole life in empowerment. Um, but I don't think it properly names uh, the sort of uh, relationship or the sort of uh, structure that would be in an organization. So I'd put it more this way, uh, and this is uh, the language from Burnham: is you return authority or power to what is rightfully someone's who is made in the image of God. And that includes anywhere, any worker. Now that might sound like, you know, high and esoteric language, but it's a difference between recognizing someone's inherent worth versus saying, I've got the power and I'm empowering you. Cause even that again is I'm on top, you're on the bottom, or you're the, you're the, object i am the subject and i think all that is fraught with danger and so i i'm not sure about empowerment
0: that i mean that was great uh, yeah uh, that that very well said and good
1: well, i just it, made it up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gee no
0: i i feel like i need to digest that something that, that's i understand this, this idea of uh yeah the returning authority recognizing that i am returning what in theory was already there you know what's inherently already there which is very different from even the the sentiment i've heard from people who talk about empowering the assumption is exactly what you said which is i have power i'm going to give you some of what's mine
1: yes and And i think that is a major problem and it comes out of the rise of the corporation which rose began in post civil war so let me throw out a couple of things that uh I would, I would, I, first of all, why I think you're seeing, uh, you've seen, we've seen a significant drop in, uh, unions in the last, uh, 30, 40 years and why this, I think this is just constructed improperly and if it were done a different way. So let me throw out for you. So first of all, a little bit, the rise of the corporation is, uh, begins after uh, the civil war, you think about, uh, prior to that, I'm, Lincoln would have known nothing about a corporation. And the uh, work was another companies, and that comes from uh, the idea of break bread together. If you go to Panera, bread, co, so co-bread, breaking bread together. And uh, companies were smaller. And, uh, and so when you worked with people, they tended to have uh, a collegial sort of uh, uh, relationship. Now, with the rise of the corporation, and and especially with the rise of the first business school, which was at Harvard. At Harvard, we're searching around for some sort of theory or model so you can legitimatize having a a business school. By the way, just as as an aside, read some of the poetry that came out from the faculty when they announced a business school. Poetry? Yeah, so there's there's actually limerick. limerick. It's it's, a limerick to poke fun at it because the thought is business is derived from the word busy. Everybody's busy. Hmm. What do you mean you're creating a school <laughs> for the science of being busy? That's great. Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, it was like, what, uh, a fair Harvard is one of the fair Harvard is going, well, so then you've got to come up with an academic model. So you're legitimate. You gotta be legit and they strike upon the uh, Frederick Winslow Taylor's work, who is the father of, of scientific management. Mm. And uh, Taylor who was, uh, he would not have been fun to live with. When he took up tennis, he dissected it down to almost uh, milliseconds and just, he just wrong. He wrung the fun out of everything. He would study it incessantly. And, uh, So he had done some work uh, in Pittsburgh in the steel industry, but his basic assumption was the Hungarians who worked in there are oxen. They're animals. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that uh, you manage assets, appetites, animals. But you don't manage people. People have... An inherent dignity in the image of God that animals don't. Now, we're to treat animals well. It's called animal husbandry in the Bible, or uh, having dominion. But it's it's not. We don't manage people, but he did. He felt yeah, to manage people. So he broke down how in shoveling coal for the for the furnaces. How you could break this job down to make it more efficient, and more efficient, more efficient, you get more and more and more and more. And uh, it turned out that uh, many just quit, and it, it was a disaster. It didn't it didn't uh, increase the bottom line. But he took the theory, and Harvard adopted it. So, what you have is the rise of the management class. In corporations, but in my opinion, they start with an adversarial view, a a flawed view of human nature. And so what rises out of that in the ill-treatment many times of workers are unions, beginning with Eugene Debs, D-E-B-S. So that's a primer, but how did we got to where we are? I think that fundamentally the management versus union worker is an adversarial relationship. And that does not bode well for creating flourishing businesses. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the more I've learned about uh, just the ins and outs, the, yeah, I think, I think you see that the, the pushback is, is, is probably, um, probably somewhere in the well it doesn't have to be but i think just the actual institution of it like by default kind of makes it that way Two coming to the table clearly one one side versus the other i mean yeah it it's i think it's hard to escape that but so that that aside when we've talked about returning authority i've often immediately translated that for myself of well my role as a manager is to return authority and to do that well and to learn how to do that well. But it's, it's ended at me. Uh, I haven't put just, I haven't really put any thought into what that looks like uh, on a, a non individualistic perspective. So I'm, I'm curious, how does that, how does that play out? Or how could that play out in an organization?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, early on one of the, uh, one of the uh, most enjoyable fun examples is uh, Toyota introduced the, uh, the actually anyone on the assembly line could uh, pull a chain and stop the entire line. Cause they said, I don't think this is, this part right here is, is best for this. We're doing, we can, this has got to be improved right now. Uh, that's that is returning authority. It's saying the people who have their hands on this thing day in and day out, hour after hour are actually, They have the most experience from the... We get our word expertise from experience. So the best experts are those who are closest to the action. And so we set up a a plant in such a way that they can exercise the authority they rightly have. We're not empowering them. They have the power. We are recognizing it. That's different. Mm. In a company I worked with in the Midwest... Small property held about 300 people. They had a uh, large warehouse. And in one of our, uh, not unionized, but in one of the um, meetings, this this kind of subject came up and I asked them, so tell me uh, again, why is it that when you come here to your corporate headquarters, there's no time clocks, but at the warehouse there is? Hmm. What are you saying about warehouse workers?
0: Yeah, yeah. They, well, one, they can't tell time, but
1: two,
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Were that's...
1: you little snotty kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it denotes, um, we're smarter. Yeah. We can yeah. handle our time better. Uh, they can't, they, it barely denotes. If we don't trust that we'll get, uh, the, the, uh, the most effective use of your time. It's actually reducing their time to efficiency. It's what Taylor said. That, uh, and so, so you look at today, like an, an Amazon uh, warehouse, you read reports about people that are just, you know, the New York Times is to be believed uh, being ground to dust almost. And let's just say there's some legitimacy in that. Um, and then that, would, that would certainly be the case in some cases, yes. And they drive hard because when you reduce someone to hourly, you also then try to squeeze all the productivity you can out of their hourly. Meanwhile, most of the C-level leaders I've ever worked with enjoy the luxury of saying, yeah, I just need I need an hour just for some think time right now.
0: Yeah,
1: And as you also know, I think legitimate is uh, the... Uh, disparity the growing gap between the sea level and the average worker it's gone from 40 times as much the average ceo would make uh, some 30 years ago to over 200 it's approaching 250 times as much as the average worker Which, somewhere along yeah. the way it, it um, and so they they got rid of the uh, time the uh, time clocks
0: well, I mean, I think I think that captures it. I mean, that that definitely reflects some of the animosity today, particularly from the the workers' side of things, where you have that such a vast differential between what a worker makes and what a manager makes. Well, in this case, uh, I don't know if that's that's fair. What a worker makes and what the CEO makes.
1: Yeah, somewhere in there. And, and put a place marker here. We'll. we'll talk about this in a moment it's what uh, lord moulton talked about makes for a flourishing society and it really is what he called obedience to the unenforceable mm-hmm. and so my point is you know i have friends who are ceos and i don't think it. it's like the tide god's not saying yeah it's 11 percent period because he loves a hilarious giver. Part of the, what's part of the new covenant is it throws off the tithe of 10 or 29 percent, whatever it was, and says, no, I don't want you doing it based on God. Pull out your calculator. Here, God, here's your 11 percent. Rather, it's what you and your wife, you want to give 100 percent to your wife of yourself. It, it, somewhere along the way, we, excuse me, we've blown through any sense of that it, 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 when you see that kind of wage disparity. Now, I'll throw this out because this is fascinating. You know, first of all, Karl Marx was coming along at the same time as the rise of the corporation and the rest. And you remember Marx said this will eventually create class warfare and the, uh, the workers will rise up and overthrow capitalism. Uh, that hasn't happened it's in part because in, in sort of an overall picture, workers, even in unions, but workers in the trades actually do better than they have in the past. Mm. But you have to recall that in 1800, three quarters of the world's population was working either as indentured servants slaves or in some form of bondage three quarters of the world's population wow so there has been a general rising of the tide and capitalism has lifted more people in the last century out of poverty than any system before hence you probably noticed two months ago uh, an amazon warehouse in alabama i believe it'd be in the south of one of these uh, right to right to work states where the workers have to vote to unionize the company just simply cannot do it they have the right not to unionize in other words and uh, they had a vote in this amazon factory uh, warehouse i'm sorry and did you saw the results or did you not
0: uh, i believe the results were not to unionize that right? That's
1: right. About 13%, if my numbers is correct, it's somewhere in there, said yes, and 87% said no. So, classic. The and- Department of Justice investigates because it said there had to be coercion. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down that trail, but yeah, 13% said unionized. 87%? No. Why? I'm making better money than I've ever made. Hmm. And... Yes, it's hard work, but the, the, what they're saying is the general pattern here is not that we are abused. Is it hard work? Yes, um, but it's also been automated to a degree that workers even 15 years ago in a warehouse would have never known, everything from the, the vests you wear to protect your back to the equipment you use I mean, there are improvements that are dramatic. I worked, for example, my, be, between my freshman and sophomore year in a foundry in Saginaw, Michigan. And uh, it was hot. Now you'd probably think, oh, in heaven's name, how old are you? But uh, <laughs> Is that I the 1700s, 1800s? No, I'll tell you what, we were making <laughs> transmission parts for vehicles you know this is the automotive industry and it was Eaton is the name of the company um and i was told earlier and they bring some real heavy worker boots and i said why is that and he goes well you know we have these sand molds over here and, and if the white hot metal is poured in these molds occasionally one will leak and it's so loud in here and because everybody had to wear ear muffs, so you just got to keep your eye out because occasionally there could be a small trickle of white hot metal heading toward you. And mm-hmm. so he says, so, you know, you, your boots will catch fire, but you can you can tap it out. There's plenty of sand here, there's a sand pit over here, you can tap it out. That was my first day and I'm already wetting my pants as a freshman in <laughs> college, like what? And I'll never forget. This is telling to me is towards the end, cause you're in the lunch hour and, and by the way, most of these guys do have hearing loss, uh, but they are growing. Mike, why are you going to college, man? Why don't you stick with us? Because we have 30 and out. That was a General Motors mantra on that, but it's true in many places. You know what 30 and out is?
0: You work for 30 years, you retire, you got your your pension
1: and whatnot, right? Gold-plated pension, health and retirement. And this is up in the great state of Michigan. So I could enter at age 18 and retire at age 48. Get a cottage up north fish hunt two things i didn't do um what's that telling you about work by the way it's a means to an end or a necessary evil yeah it's a four-letter word yeah but but that was all developed by the union and while it elevated there was also inherent in the entire system is an adversarial relationship with the company with management
0: yeah so one of the one of the things that has sort of come up from this has been this idea that a union allows for a more democratic work environment and mm-hmm. that everyone gets a vote and and this mm-hmm. way a company can reflect, uh, you know, democracy. Yes. Um, yeah. What do you make of that?
1: Well, it does, it's, it does uh, give everyone a vote and it can be a, a produce uh, a more democratic approach. How's that working out in America? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to think that way. Yeah. <laughs> How's that work out now? Again, I am not saying that people in unions are stupid. That's not the point. But Jefferson was correct when he said democracy requires an educated electorate. By and large, my experience and growing up in the great state of Michigan with UAW and the CIO and the auto workers, that was not an educated electorate electorate that's very much what we see in washington today if you're in one camp you're going to hear everything you want to hear but basically the system is rigged is what they i heard in the factories where i worked the system is rigged fat cat millionaires run this we've got to get more from them adversarial and uh, by the way this what I am in no way letting management off the hook. I don't think companies should manage people. So I think that there's problems on both sides. But there is also a history in both the unions and in management of Lord Acton's famous phrase, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. I mean, there's been such a string of scandals in the UAW. The most recent one, just two years ago, They found UAW executive leaders making well beyond what union people did and had hunting lodges up north and all-expense-paid trips to Vegas and what have you. You just go, what happens here? What happens is not unlike what happens to someone who does really well in business. The next thing you know, your revenues are... You're making a lot of money, and it, I just think there's something in human nature. You go, "Well, I'd be paid more." And then the next thing you know, you're head of the UAW, and you're making a couple million a year and traveling the world on an expense account. What happened to the workers? Right, right. But it's the very same deal of. I start this company and I'm working hard, and of course, because I guess because of the nature of the work, you know, I make substantially more than the average worker, which I do think has to be called into question somewhat because we pay for things of value. You just can't get around the fact that if you say, "Yeah, you know, I make one hundred fifty thousand dollars," and the people, the company, in my, co- my company, the people make 21 an hour. I'm more valuable. Now, you might say, that, oh, no, no, I'm a Christian. And, you know, that. no, no. You're saying we pay for things of value. You are more valuable. Now, someone says the other side of the coin. Yeah, well, if they all made 150000 we wouldn't have a company. I, I hear that, too but somewhere along the way when you now make 240 times does that not raise any questions i'm not saying the answers are simple but does that not raise any questions
0: yeah so so as a believer as you're walking through life and you know I, I'm like i'm thinking here man this is this is a pretty great opportunity for uh believers in general to, to be different. You know, if you're a believer who's a CEO, i to about standing out. Don't make a ridiculous sum of money over your, over your workers. But how do you, how do you walk that path? If you are, you know, on that CEO track and, and, and maybe you've arrived there or something as a believer, or maybe you're, you know, in your, your twenties right now, listening to this and, and dreaming about the future and, and no, have some inkling that maybe God's called you to leadership and whatnot. How do you walk that path without losing yourself along the way?
1: Yeah, that's a really... (laughs) (laughs) This is why, Pat, uh, the older I get, the more I'm drawn to older faith traditions where you had spiritual directors. Um, Not buddy-buddy, hey, let's get together, let's talk about faith and work. I mean, I, I know that sounds pejorative the way I just said it, and I'll probably pay for that in heaven. <laughs> uh, uh, spiritual directors, I, I think they simply ask better questions. They, they ask questions they won't normally ask, and, and I think a lot would be... Uh, so why... just talk to me about... let me even back it up a little further, Pat. We are part of a tradition in America. Where the notion of the church is the bride is not embodied by and large it's not it's not on the frontal lobes of our imagination and a bride discovers and is fruitful as she opens herself to be penetrated by her husband if I as head of a company had a practice through sages and prophets and spiritual directors who were outside the system of opening my body to be penetrated i might come away with different notions about what would make me happy Because at the end of the day, Augustine's right. My loves are the weight. And wherever I have my weight, that's where I end up going. And if my loves are, I really love dining out, I really love it. Then you're going to dine out. We know it very well. If you're going to dine out, you're going to have to make a lot more money than if you eat in. If you say, and I want to live here and I want to have such and such a home. And I just I just feel like I just feel like um, I think we'd be happier. And that's not a notion that you have if you work at a, on a Ford assembly line, because I've I've been there. And you're making a set amount of money, you can't make any more unless your union bargains for it. So you're, you're going to be pro-union because you're going to see you don't have the options, so to say, or the accessibility to resources that you see management has. But in your bones, even though if you're not a Christian, you wouldn't, I think you just because everyone bears the image of God, and I'm not persuaded most of us as believers actually understand what that means, but in my bones, whether I can even give language to it, I feel I'm equal to that person. you know what? You are. Well then, why do they have more access? Oh, it's because of their education, or this or that, or that or that. Those are convenient. But the fact of the matter is, if you start with, everyone bears equally the image of God. Pagan, post-Christian, Hindu, Muslim, gay, straight, white, black, it doesn't matter. I was raised in a church where we used to sing in Sunday school. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in like, sight. That's good theology. Hmm. And we don't start there, frankly. I think we start with, you go to certain schools, you get a certain education, you get a certain applause and in, in terms of mm, you're a bright person. Hmm, yeah, I I think I could start this, and you could actually offer a a service or a means or a product that would help people. That starts with the best of intentions, and that's exactly where it should start. Next thing you know, you hit a home run. It's doing great. Next thing you know, Investors are coming to you. Next thing you know, investors are interested in return on investment. Next thing you know, you've hit a gusher. I don't think the average Christian is in touch with the sentiment in the Old Testament. Lord, give me neither riches nor poverty. Mm. Riches, I forget you poverty I steal. There's a reason why Pat, this is not a diatribe against rich people. I'm rich. Anyone who had more than food for the day and a set of clothes for tomorrow in Jesus' day was considered rich. I'm rich. Why then does Paul, who said I learned to be content in riches and in poverty, What does Paul tell Timothy? Command the rich in your church to be generous. Now, that is the only time you see that verb, command. It's a military term. We like to say in our faith, you know, you can't be prescriptive. We should just be descriptive. Um, We should urge people. uh, Don't tell people what to do. now paul knows the way this works he's been to the third heaven he peered into eternity he probably saw the great banquet the wedding banquet and he says tell the rich to be generous and then he uses and conjures up the image of babylon because he says and now to put their hope in riches, confidence, that's the word mammon. Pat, I don't think we've come to grips with in the Western affluent world that affluence is God's intended desire for all. Or where it's called wealth, but wealth is not riches necessarily. And riches play a more powerful role in our soul than the average Christian is aware of. So in an adversarial relationship, it's just the fruit of, we don't understand the power of mammon. If you don't have it, you'll want it. Steal. If you have it, you tend to forget God. Now, I know Christian No, no, I go to church. I remember God. I think it's talking about God in totality. And the totality is the people who work in your company are equal image bearers as you are as a Christian, whether or not they know God or not. Are they accorded equal dignity? If so, how come you're not on a time clock and not paid hourly? As, but they are. For starters, last comment. I used to take my car when we lived a couple miles away. In fact, we still do on occasion to a body shop uh, garage up in uh, Sorority Park, Maryland. Number one reason why is Jeff Wallington, who started the business. Wonderful guy. Doesn't know Jesus from his blue jeans. But he said, I put everybody here on salary just like me. He said, we're not hourly because I don't want them to be in any way incentivized in terms of You know, you also need to get your transmission flushed, which keeps him in a little longer, which he said, I'm taking all that dynamic out and his people who work there have worked there. We've lived here in this area for 40 years, I think, almost 40 years. I'm pretty sure their turnover is almost zip. Then you think about that. You go into the average Honda dealership and you go in next year. (laughs) Who are you? I'm Biff. I'm the new guy. You know, go to Jiffy Lube, because I do. But, but the turnover in these places, why turnover? Why turnover in the fast food industry? Why turnover in all of these? Because you go in and the message is you're hourly and you're just not as bright as we are, the people around it. And you can't be trusted. It's adversarial.